Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to the penultimate episode in this series of Your Own Personal Beatles. Uh, This is episode number 16 and I'm here as always with... Robin Allender. I think we're going to cut to the chase this week because uh, it's a really long episode with Josh Widdicombe. There was so much good stuff in it, we didn't want to cut it down, we didn't really want to make it into a two-parter, so um, we'll just cut straight to the point this week, and you know what, this is an episode we recorded, a couple of cans in hand with Mm. Josh a couple of weeks ago, um, and it's a fantastic one. Yeah, he he sort of didn't want to stop, which was great, you know. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. yeah, so it was just uh, lovely just to carry on, it was like having a chat down the pub. Which is nice. Uh, there's one. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's one thing I wanted to clear up. I talked mm-hmm. about Kate Bush quoting oh, yeah. a bit from the Far Show, yeah. and I <laughs> yeah. just want to say I don't know if she was consciously quoting from the Far Show or if she just came up with that off the top of her head. So I just wanted to clear that up. Right. Okay. Well, that's in- intriguing. Knowing what you're talking yeah. about, I don't know which is weirder actually. Um, yeah, the latter. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. We'll cross that bridge when we come to yeah, it. Yeah. So look, watch out for that, peeps. Yeah, and we'll be back at the end, and so enjoy this episode of Josh Widdicombe's Personal Beatles. So, Robin and I are absolutely delighted this week to be joined by comedian and writer, the wonderful Josh Widdicombe. Hello, Josh, how are you Hello. doing? Hello. Very excited. Um, <laughs> I did say to you beforehand, but this is something I actually listen to, which is always a worry that this will go badly and I'll never be able to listen to it again. It very, <laughs> very much like when I did badly on Richard Osman's House of Games. <laughs> I oh, never no. really could rewatch. Oh, man. <laughs> for, yeah. fear, fear of going back on the, uh, on the terrible answers I gave. <laughs> oh, what, we, was, didn't John absolutely rinse that one when he was Yeah, I'm almost, yeah. I almost certainly... Yeah. It, it, every, <laughs> He didn't have to go up against Steve Pemberton from the League of Gentlemen. That's all oh, I've got to say. Yeah, that's yeah, tough casting. That's yeah, 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 but yeah. Um, we're not here to talk about that, I suppose. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, I listened to... I was about to say I listened to the Beatles today as if uh, I was... But it, I felt like I should as a kind yeah. of... The Ellis James episode... This isn't just going to be me going back over the episodes no, like sure. a kind of fan, but... Um, <laughs> He kind of approached it like it was his Beatles exam. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. And there was definitely that thing of uh, you'd ask him a question and he'd go, well, what I wanted to talk about was like, this B-side. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know? yeah. it, was, it was a bit like uh, the vice presidential debate last <laughs> <Yeah>. night <laughs> at the time of... Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had really done his own because I tried to sort of we tried to set people at ease a bit before we record by saying that you know we're not looking for experts in any way and we really want uh, you know it to be a personal emotional journey. And he he was just like, all right, because he he had been cramming facts. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah. Just wanted to yeah, was, get so everything in there. So yeah, it's about it's four episodes worth of stuff. So yeah. hopefully yeah. We'll, we'll get him back one day. But. Yeah, no, he was it was very entertaining. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> Also, you did get the feeling he had notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. There was a point where he left to uh, apparently look after his child or something, but I think he's probably doing a bit of revision yeah. in the box. He, he, he ended yeah. it by saying, in conclusion... The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, but how's, how's your lockdown been, though, Josh? How's um, been it's been fine yeah. in terms of... Um, I think it's... I, I, I pick my words carefully here, but like... You've been enjoying it. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I don't know what everyone's complaining about. Yeah. No, um, uh, I think the first one felt a lot easier than what, at the time of recording, it feels mm. like we're going back into or already into, in the sense yeah. of there felt like this kind of... You were living a moment of history and mm. you were mm. kind of part of it and what you were doing was brilliantly scientifically thought through by the scientists and the government (laughs) and it was going to work and you were applauding for the NHS and now I feel a bit like you haven't got that element you've just got the ground down of the fact that you can't go to the pub yeah which I but I know that's a a very small uh complaint Yeah, yeah yeah when they talk about the blitz spirit you do get the sense that they're sort of Talking about the people in the first couple of months. And <laughs> yeah. After a while, they're like, God, yeah. sleep in the fucking northern line again. Yeah. <laughs> totally, yeah. totally, yeah. I, um, I think the Blitz spirit's probably overrated, isn't it? <laughs> having, having witnessed it now. I wonder if, you know, we're going to look back in a weird, like, in the same way, whether it'll be like, when we're old people, are we going to be talking yeah. about how the young people don't understand how great we all behaved during COVID and how yeah. everyone wore a mask. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. yeah. And uh, have you been keeping busy though? Have you like lots of podcasting and stuff? Have, have you? Yeah, I think, you know, the mic I bought at the start of lockdown is probably the most used piece of equipment <laughs> I've ever had in my, um, in my career. Yeah. I think that is a weird thing. And that's really, what's really good for this is like, is that podcast, which is obviously, um, you know, it's it's the coming medium for one of a. That's a terrible. What a wanky thing. But you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. it feels like you, it's the start of something. Whereas, mm. and it's still finding its way. And I mm. think a lot of people, including myself, always thought you can't record a podcast if you're not all in the same room. How can mm. you? You know, how could you get that kind of that amazing electricity <laughs> you get when you're yeah. interviewing someone in a tiny <laughs> studio? Yeah. But actually, the fact it's forced us to do this has meant that you can. It's totally fine. The technology's totally fine. Yeah. And I think it means that um, you kind of do it from home and it's great. I've really, yeah. I've really enjoyed that freedom of going, I'm just going to go upstairs and talk about the Beatles for an hour. <laughs> yeah. <that's> yeah. <laughs> it's basically what I do anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is that thing where I think the podcasts have done well in lockdown. Someone was saying this to me today because you get that kind of screen fatigue. So you just, audio's kind of doing better at the moment kind yeah of thing, you know I, I think that's definitely i also think podcasts you know lockdown is by definition quite a lonely thing even if you're with other people you're not seeing and podcast is the medium by far where you feel like you are um most kind of being talked to by your friends that's why yeah. i think mm-hmm. you know you put it on when i put them on when i'm making dinner or whatever mm. or just while you're out walking around the house or whatever and it feels like you're having interaction, even though you're not part of it. Yeah. And I think that's why people are so loyal and passionate about podcasts, whereas yeah. they're not... You can't stum- You ch- make a choice. Look at your friends John Robbins and Ellis James. Like yeah. they're, 
their fans are so passionate. Yes, yeah. Mm. And I think that's partly the medium of podcast itself, really. definitely. Yeah, you're talking, you know, you're in someone's ear, like hours and hours of of John's voice. Imagine (laughs) that. (laughs) That's great. So yeah, so you said you've listened to a few episodes. So what? How did how did you prepare for this? I can... Well, I've just stopped listening in preparation for this because okay. I kind of didn't want to use not use other people's thoughts. That's a weird like I didn't want to. Uh, it's more like um, if I'm doing something like a TV show where it's topical, I won't mm. go on Twitter that week for not because I'm worried. I'll steal someone's joke, but I'm worried I'll see a joke that I've thought myself or something, and or mm. it'll cramp the way you think. Right. I just didn't want to th- kind of think about... I haven't really listened since I agreed to do this, because I didn't want <laughs> other people's thoughts about the Beatles in my head, <laughs> right. if that makes sense. Yeah. That I completely understand. <laughs> when I used to review films and stuff, I could not read uh, any uh, anyone else's opinion, no matter how mm. small about a film, because otherwise I would just... They would spot something I didn't spot, or I'd think about something in a different way, and then I'd feel like a fraud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I'm writing something at the moment, and um, I watched something that was kind of on the same subject, mm. and I couldn't relax at all like, <laughs> for the comparisons in my head. I think, do I need to talk about that? Oh, God, I've missed that. Yeah. You know. Uh, but I can't say that now, because, yeah. you know, so that yeah. it's... Um, once this is over, I can finally uh, go back to listening to a podcast. About the beat. <laughs> what will be galling is were I to record this and then listen to a few in the next week, and they've all covered the exact same ground as me. <laughs> and I'm aware that you guys have nodded on appreciatively, <laughs> politely, knowing that. Just repeating yeah, stuff. We'll have to have a sort of cliche klaxon if we get to a second and third <laughs> series. <laughs> start with the beginning of your sort of Beatles journey what's I'm your... going to open my beer what for that question sure satisfying sound effect um, yes that's a really good one. Like... <laughs> yeah that was <laughs> I've not got a beer I've got one of those uh, sound effect CDs <laughs> that mm. they have at Radio 4 mm. yeah George um, Martin style yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah, arch exactly. mm. yeah. delicious beer <laughs> gonna... yeah. I'll just walk across the gravel and tell you about <laughs> yeah. the Beatles um so where did it where did it start? What's your first memory of the Beatles really? I think I always knew that they were around because um because you do because it's you know part of the common discussion isn't it? It's 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 like a reference that is kind of eternal. Um and but the first and my dad is so my ba- dad was born in 1960 so he would have been uh which uh, 1950 mm. sorry. 1950s, so he's, which is probably the perfect year to be born if you yeah. want to be a fan of the Beatles. So he was 12, 13, when, probably 12, because he was uh, when Please Please Me came out. Mm. Uh, 20, when it all ended. Yeah. That's pretty kind of perfect. The dream period. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he hit the Beatles, like, absolutely just right. Yeah. And um, so he had his record collection that was all, like, 60s stuff. He was a big Stones fan. Mm. So the Stones were more of a thing in my household than the Beatles. He was more of a Stones fan. Mm. And we used to go on family trips to see the Rolling Stones whenever they tour. Really? Yeah. So wow. the first gig I ever went to when I was, was when I was seven. 
And we went to see the Rolling Stones at Wembley on the Steel Urban Jungle Tour, which was promoting oh, the wow. album Steel Wheels. Right, right. Uh, supported by Gun. I don't know if you remember mm. Gun. Oh, yeah. And I uh, did a cover of Word Up. <laughs> yeah, that, that was like the only hit, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, no, yeah. I, can't, I can't be right. <laughs> I no. think it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was primarily there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was... Uh, well, I could be able to work out the exact date because the... the um, because I'm sure the listeners are desperate to know. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> I love it when night. bands used to have the names of tour tours. Yeah. You know, like when the Bowie '80s tour was called the Serious Moonlight. Tour. <laughs> yeah. Up until reality uh, tour names, yeah. we should bring that back. Cool. Yeah, I think it was like it was a. It, it felt like a thing. Like I think they still do it, maybe with. Um, the popular acts that would have a show. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so yeah, I think, yeah. I think Kylie would have a named mm. tour. The one I always think of is the Zoo TV tour that you oh, two yes. did. Yeah, yeah. Which, um, if you enjoy, as I do, reading blunt Wikipedia descriptions of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the description of the Zoo TV tour where it tries to describe the show <laughs> is one of the most <laughs> hilarious things you've ever read. That's just, great. <laughs> it's really, it's just every sentence is more and more baffling. Um, <laughs> I'm sure, I've never, I've never, I think it is available to watch, I'm sure it is, yeah. but I've never watched it, but it's really worth, like... That's great. One of my favourite Wikipedia things is reading entries for bands that are clearly written by themselves. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the Ned's Atomic Dustbin one. <laughs> it's got a whole thing where it's like the, the album was released in, a, in an American format, so didn't chart, which caused controversy. <laughs> it's all about really bitter things about chart positions and stuff like that. It's great. <laughs> anyway, sorry, t- tangents there. Was sorry, you tangents. went to see the Stones. Uh, yeah, so on yeah. the uh, Urban Jungle Tour, which is 1990. So the reason I know it's the date is because it was the night... England played West Germany in the semi-final of Italia 90 World Cup. Wow. Which was, oh, my God. So you yeah. didn't see that game? Didn't see that game. And that was a big deal to me, Italia wow. 90. Yeah, that yeah, was like yeah. the first time I got into football. So um, so we were big into the Stones. And then I think, really, the Beatles... Uh, what happened at the same time, really, was the anthology series on ITV, was it on? Yeah, think, um, yeah. yeah, it was on ITV, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I think it was on ITV. Mm. And um, which happened the same time as from the age of seven to about secondary school. I was very much into the charts. I was about mm. buying all, I had a string of Now albums. Yeah. I used to record the charts in the classic way you record the charts. Yeah. <laughs> and then all when I was 11 or 12, all that kind of Britpop stuff happened, part life and definitely maybe being the first two kind of breakthrough yeah. things that I bought. And I think that turned a lot of people onto the Beatles as well. Yeah, because that yeah. was the same mm. year as the anthology, I think. That Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think up until that point, I didn't even realise that you were allowed to like old music. Do you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That was the music my dad liked. That, yeah. that, I like I like The Prodigy and I like Gabrielle. <laughs> 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 like, I liked... The stuff that was in the charts. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then I suppose it was Noel Gallagher and Liam Gallagher talking about the Beatles and them being mentioned by journalists. Mm. And then that made you watch the anthology. My parents would have watched that anthology anyway, but I probably... I'd have thought it was a historical document rather than something mm. about music that I could like, yeah. if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And it was that like seems a- to be the common thread for basically... 
yeah, our, our, our generation. Yeah. Was, and yeah. so many people say that that was the turning point in it. And it's, yeah, you've got to remember kind of it was like pre-internet as well. So you're hearing a lot of this stuff and seeing it, you know, for the first time and realising how it all fits together. Because a lot of people would like, you know, you you sort of vaguely aware of Sergeant Pepper and then vaguely aware of the kind of early stuff, and but then not really sure how it all fitted together. You know, it was just this, you know, because they're all so different and disparate elements of the story, so... Yeah, totally. I think, yeah. I, I think, you know, you probably... If you asked someone who wasn't interested in the Beatles, the things that they would think are the kind of screaming people with the mop-top kind mm. of image and that cover of the Sgt. Pepper's album. I think yeah. that's the things that, you know, obviously <laughs> doesn't quite do the whole thing credit. But <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> um, I think they're the kind of icon... Most, obviously, there's millions of iconic... They're the most iconic images... Mm. of the whole thing mm. really yeah yeah when you go what where how did you get into the beatles it's just it's not like it's like every other band really you can identify more them coming into your orbit mm. but yeah. i think the beatles you know from from at three onwards you're listening to ringo star on thomas the tank engine and then <laughs> mm. and then you know i remember i actually i do remember that um the George Harrison album is it called Cloud Nine. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I think that must have come out around when would that have been? 91, 92, something eight, like that? 80s. Late 80s. Late 80s. I think. 80s. Yeah. So we had that, but mm. I wouldn't have connected that to the Beatles yeah. until years later. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting one, Cloud Nine. I revisited that for the first time age, in ages and it really smells of someone who needs a bit of cash. <laughs> is, that the, is that got when we was fab on it? Is that... Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's him having been the first one to sort of reject the whole Beatle legacy yeah. and then suddenly he turns up after being away for over a decade singing rose-tinted songs about yeah. meeting yeah. the Beatles in Hamburg and it's just sort of... Right, okay. There's it, probably some renovations in Friar Park that were yeah. desperately needed. I can identify both being struck by a pang of nostalgia, though. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. You, know, you never know. He, um, it's got a phenomenal cover. Yeah, which is that cover. Him in kind of um, those, I suppose, aviators mm. with a kind mm. of floral shirt, maybe unbuttoned, one too many buttons. <laughs> which is... A huge kind of distance from the kind of spiritual man you kind of he'd yeah. previously, you know, he looks yeah. he looks like more like Ringo being interviewed by the Paul in anthology than he looks yeah. like himself. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea that the Beatles were kind of just always there, I remember that with my brother saying, telling me about the Beatles. Maybe when we were watching Yellow Submarine when I was really young, and like Tom, my brother said, "Oh yeah, George is the quiet one." I was like, how do you know that? How does those ideas, be, like, mm. you know, kind of disseminate through the world? Like, how, does he, how did he know he was the quiet one? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Where do these archetypes come from that you just learn culturally, you know? To go back to um, your friend John Robbins, who you will never get on here because he doesn't like the Beatles, <laughs> I was listening to his radio show. Yeah. Him and Ellis' radio show. But um, yeah. he drives it. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but he um, he was talking about how he believed in a hundred or two hundred years the Beatles would be forgotten, <laughs> and I, I I was so angry listening yeah. to this because I just don't believe that they I just believe that 
their impact is so incomparable to every other band that it's, they will be... It's his argument that Queen wouldn't be. It or didn't go not... there, but I imagine oh, right. it could have if Ellis had pushed it. <laughs> yeah. But I think his argument was that all music you listen to now will be forgotten, really. Right. But, which is, of course... Well, I mean, if they manage to... If you can hear sort of Thomas Tallis, <laughs> yeah. you know, English plain song from 800 mm. years ago, the chances are that... The one of the most mass-produced bits of digital media <laughs> yeah. is probably going to yeah, last yeah. at least a couple of hundred years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, that is that is strange. Unless John was going down a deliberately kind of was was he kind of saying there won't be any civilization in two hundred years? No, I think he was. Just I, saying. I mean, for all I know, they had two minutes to fill before the news. And he was panicking. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to go into climate panic or do you want to come? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's no, but yeah, that's interesting. I, I no, just feel like mm. they're so part of the tapestry of everything. Yeah, to the point where it's interesting because we were discussing like before this, we were discussing like people you'd possibly get on or like, mm. and you describe someone as a Beatles fan, yeah. and I, it's mm. it's a weird thing to be into in a weird way mm. because it's mm. so central to culture. Mm. It's yeah. like being a fan of you know. It's like being a fan of Harry Potter. You have to... If <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. If you... So many people are into it. Yeah. Like, there's mm. kind of that... If you take a society from, you know, a, a spread of it, there's probably 80% in the middle that are just it, just like the Beatles. And then there's 10% yeah. that are really into the Beatles and 10% yeah, yeah. that actively yeah. dislike the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. Or define themselves in opposition to yeah, the Beatles, yeah. but yeah. secretly quite like the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like saying I like pizza. Like yeah. it's yeah. very, yeah. it's a very boring <laughs> thing yeah, to say. Yeah. And I that like was the food. reservation when we started the podcast. Is like, you know, it's sort of definitely a lot of preaching to the choir. But yeah, from doing this, we just found out that actually people love them for so many different reasons. Yeah. Mm. I, I think that's an interesting... It's always hard to know how to talk about things where there is that range of people who are into them kind of casually or into them really mm. obsessively. I remember a similar thing, like this is going to sound really poncy, but like when I was getting quite into James Joyce, right? <laughs> and in certain circles, like you have to say things like, and in Ulysses, you know, the man in the brown Macintosh famously... And it's like, what do you mean famously? Famously to, like, ten people, <laughs> you know? But, like, yeah. when, you, when you're talking about, like, the Beatles, you kind of... You start... And you say, you know, like, uh, you know, Martha, my dear, famously starts... You know, to a lot of people, yeah. that's not a famous song. Yeah. You know? I, don't, <laughs> I can't just... really imagine, like, throngs of screaming teenagers outside the release of uh, James Joyce's... <laughs> No, sadly not. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame. They might have been. But, you know, it's weird. You know, to some people, the the facts you'd be saying are very well-worn and are famous facts. But to other people listening to the show, you know, you might be hearing it for the first time. But it's kind of weird how to couch the way you talk about them, you know, because there is such a presence and so so many well-known stories as well. I think you find that... I find that with all... I find it difficult to talk about music with someone that I'm not completely sure of how into music they are. Mm. But I don't mean that as in, oh, guys, I'm, like, really into music. Uh, You're not not aware of the B-sides. I'm not like that. But, like, what I mean is, like, there'll be people that know far more than you Mm. and there'll be people that know far less. And say someone said to me, "Uh, oh, I like Blur. And I go, yeah. And then I'd say about something and they wouldn't know about... And I I find I kind of almost... I'm terrified of 
making myself look like a dweeb. <laughs> but, <laughs> I know what you mean. But also, on the other side, I feel guilty for not knowing as much as people that know more. I don't know. And it, it shouldn't be, you know, it's the, it's the mm. Ellis James episode thing, but it shouldn't, be, it's, it shouldn't be like... It's not about what you know. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. It, but I feel like... Um, there feels like a thing with the Beatles that because it's such a well-known thing, mm. if you're into the Beatles, you really have to throw yourself into being into the Beatles yeah. to get beyond what everyone knows. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean. Well, that's why I thought this is a good idea for a podcast because you're talking to people about their personal associations. Mm. And people can't really get those wrong, you know. So it's mm. like, you know, that's <laughs> what... getting the Beatles wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've met James Acaster a couple of times, but when yeah. I can, when he asks me what I'm listening to, I have I can my mind has never gone more blank because he's he's got such an insane knowledge of yeah. incredibly diverse range of music. He's got yeah, I totally know what you mean. I, I <laughs> yeah. hate the it's question, a terrifying though. question. It is the, yeah. the question: What music you're into is the yeah. worst question anyone could ask <laughs> yeah. you. I think yeah 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 because it's basically asking you to kind of pigeonhole yourself. Yeah. I, I haven't come up with a satisfactory answer that... Well, I don't think you can come up with a satisfactory no, answer no. on yeah. the one hand, but on the it's other... It's a real sort of mum's mate question, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jack Jack likes music. Deirdre likes music too. Yeah. Oh, what are you into? Yeah. You wouldn't know it. Yeah. I think it's probably the only good answer. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the thing with it. It's like you get this situation where they'll say, you know, what you're into. And if you avoid... You, I end up avoiding the question, which just mm. looks so kind of evasively, like it's kind of suspicious. Yeah, yeah. Like, mm. I've, like I've never actually heard music at all. <laughs> yeah, what <laughs> is music? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you either have to like, give an answer that's way too long or an answer that's flippantly short. <laughs> yeah. And there's not yeah. really any in between. So when you were growing up, then were you kind of torn between music and comedy? Was that a kind of thing, or were you? Did you? What, did play? We ever, yeah, were you ever kind of in a band and things like mm, that? No, I can no. play the guitar to mm. um, a not a level where you could be in a band, but a level <laughs> where you could, but a level where you can look at most. You could listen to a song and look at the tab and work out yeah. how to play it. That kind cool. of level. Mm, yeah. Um, and I think you know. I think probably. Every comedian would want to be in a band if they were honest. That's, yeah. a, be- that's a better career. Yeah, it does <laughs> seem to be a recurring theme with the comedians we talk to. I do think there's like something about, say, I don't know, like your generation of comedians. Like, a, yeah, I remember Ellis talking about the idea of there's a kind of class, as in like a school year of comedians. Mm. <laughs> but I think you, you and like James Acaster and Ellis and John have got, there seems to be a p- real particular crossover with music. With a lot of you, you guys. Yeah, I wonder what. I think. I think part of it, maybe, is that when I was growing up in the nineties. Now, uh, I think the worst phrase in the world is comedy is the new rock and roll. It's, yeah. it's so it just never has been, and it yeah. never will be. Yeah. But I think in the nineties on TV, the British comedy was, you know, probably that's probably. In the way that my dad was lucky to grow up in the 60s for music, mm. I think I was very lucky to grow up in the 90s for yeah. comedy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you could probably... I won't do it because I think it would make it a very 
boring podcast, but you could probably name off the top of your head 25 brilliant comedy shows mm-hmm. that would have been on BBC Two or Channel Four yeah. or, or wherever on Friday nights and just constant recurring. It felt like everything was good. Yeah. And it felt like it was mm. all coming from the same kind of generation of people. Mm. And I think, I think the people that were into that, that were into shooting stars, Father Ted, to the mm. Far Show, to the Royal Family, to et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. They are, were also the people that were into music. Yeah. I think it, it, it was the same group of people at my school. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know why that is. Whether the comedy at the time just was kind of not marketed in the same way, but off- operated in the same kind of space. Yeah. But mm. the people that watched Shooting Stars were the people that liked to read the NME. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. I think that's possibly what's kind of created a generation of people that, um, and it maybe it's that. So you had the first wave of alternative. I'm pontificating on a theory I've never said before here. So I'm just <laughs> That's what we like. I mean, this is a podcast. This <laughs> the whole format. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. obviously, you had this kind of first wave of alternative comedy that kind of broke through, which was your French and Saunders, uh, Rick, Rick Mal and Adrian Edmondson, mm-hmm. and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And then I think that kind of by the 90s they were the Stadium fillers, they were the Vicar of Dibley and absolutely fabulous. Yeah, but that next young generation comedy was young. Comedy, the Vicar of Dibley's Serious Moonlight Tour. Yeah, it was very sorry. Karen Knight, but um, yeah. no, uh, so you had that second group coming through, which was for everyone from Harry Hill to Frank Skinner to. Mm. Paul Whitehouse, et cetera, Vic and Bob, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they were young and they were alternative in the way that bands were, I think. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And they, and I think it it was just, it was, it operated in the same area. So I think if you were into Alan Park, if you watched the day to day, you didn't then go and listen to the Spice Girls. No. Well, you it know? felt like <laughs> they were listening to the same things, like day to day when... They're doing, you know, the Nirvana Panty Smile advert. Do you remember that? And it's like, yeah. that song is, like, really good. <laughs> like, it doesn't yeah. need to be that good, you know. And, like, the, you know, some, so it's like they were listening to the same stuff. That was a big thing with Chris Morris was that he, the music was so important to his Brilliant. stuff. Mm. And, you know. Uh, his, when they do, um, he does the character Fur Q, who's yeah. the rapper yeah, yeah. that um, yeah. does Uzi yeah. Lover, which yeah. is interesting. Yeah. Which is a really well done. It's brilliant. The best bit of that is that he shoots the thing about him is he shoots someone live on stage. Yeah. And it's Mark Goodyear is the person he's gonna shoot when he's in London. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it just felt like the same world. It felt yeah, yeah. and I think that's why you get that crossover. Mm. Matthew mm. Crosby's another person who mm. um who I'm friends with who's into comedy and has got that same and I think it's definitely it was the same nerds. It was the yeah, same nerds. Yeah. Mm. But that's the Beatles as well, isn't it? Because they're, you know, we've we've talked about this in the last one with Kevin Eldon, but the the Beatles crossover where it's the, it, it is the goons and there's music hall tradition mm. and you know 
the cavern shows were almost like stand up at times. They do skits and you know, they were hilarious, yeah. Mm. So there is that crossover as well, isn't there? Just they showed the um, last ever John Lennon interview on a documentary last night where he talks about it's the night before he died and he talks about Faulty Towers and how much he's obsessed with the really? second oh, series wow. of Faulty Towers. Wow. And uh, Andy Peebles is almost trying to change the conversation, but John Lennon just <laughs> won't stop talking about it. He was like, that's what I want to do, you know. I want to be in, in Faulty Towers. <laughs> we are sitting in the very... This is the very room. <laughs> the very room where it happened. You know, the double fantasy was brought alive, or, as it were, in his very bloody room, wasn't it, dear? Yes, yes exactly. Yeah. You're wasted, Mr Lennon, you're wasted. I love Faulty Towers. I like yeah. to be in that, you know. Would you? I mean, part of me would sooner have been a comedian, you know. I just don't have the guts to stand up and do it, but I'd love to be in the Monty Python. Faulty <laughs> Towers is the greatest show I've seen in years. If they have it over here now, God, it's great. I mean, what a guy, he's great. I saw an interview, or maybe I had a conversation with him, but I saw Noel Fielding or heard him talk about walking down like like Dean Street or somewhere like that. Mm. And there was someone shouting at him and he turned around and it was Paul McCartney. Right. And he was like, <laughs> I'm just... I know, no, I'm a big fan of the Mighty Boosh. I think it's great. <laughs> wow. <laughs> God, how do you react to that? Yeah. <laughs> that even makes me feel a bit queasy. <laughs> yeah. God, I don't think so I'd ever cool. recover. Yeah, but they're, they're big comedy kind of fans as well, aren't they? Like, you know, even Paul McCartney yeah. always, he's liked, liked all that sort of 90s stuff as well, I think, didn't mm. he? Yeah. Well, there's a great um, TFI throwaway. I don't know if it's great because I haven't watched it in 25 <laughs> years. I watched it the other day, I think. Uh, did you? <laughs> yeah. Well, the one with Paul McCartney where yeah. he does flaming for the Flaming Pie thing. Yeah, yeah so he's absolutely brilliant. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's so funny. He plays all. Don't don't they do a uh, the live thing? Is him playing all the different instruments? Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah, when yeah. this happened, because it it was the whatever anniversary of, or they reissued Flaming Pie the other day, and I had the the. I think we mentioned it on the podcast, but I had probably one of the biggest Proustian rushes I've ever had, <laughs> listening to that uh, yeah. the single off that song, and then suddenly remembering every second of a whole ninety minutes of TFI Friday, <laughs> and I went back to watch it on YouTube and realised that I like knew entire sections of dialogue yeah, of it off right by heart from Does recording it, it off the telly. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's really. I mean. Chris Evans is like more obnoxious than I remember. <laughs> <might> remember. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's like he's properly firing on all cylinders. Really, really, yeah. being, you know, I've got a comeback for everything. And yeah. you know, considering yeah. what he was going through at that time as well, because it was yeah. a pretty tough time for Paul. Yeah. I think it was yeah. just like months before Linda died. Jeez. And he's just, and then they disappear at the end onto the, you know, and speedboat going under Hammersmith Bridge. And it's really, really crazy. <laughs> so talking about '90s stuff and '90s comedy, do you remember like Kate Bush was given? She was very, she's obviously very reclusive, mm. but she was given a Lifetime Achievement Award. Maybe it's a Brit Award or something like that, mm. or maybe an mm. Ivan Novello or something. And she came yeah. on stage and she did... Do you remember that character that Charlie Higson did in the fast show where he'd be talking and then he'd go, oh, sorry, I've just come. <laughs> <laughs> like Kate Bush came on stage and just, that's what she She said, wow. sorry, I've just come. <laughs> and like loads of people... I remember this at the time, like people didn't get the reference. Yeah, it's not a well enough, <laughs> even in 1997, not a well yeah. enough fast show. Yeah. Deep cut. It's quite yeah. deep cut. Yeah. 
She could incredible. do brilliant. She's just one. She could have done the brilliant Paul Whitehouse character. Yeah, quite yeah, 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 yeah. But that's yeah. but that's. I love the idea of Kate Bush watching Fast Show. But you know, yeah. But yeah. Bowie was another one who was obsessed with the fast show as well. Yeah, yeah. He used to yeah. sort of do really bad. And, you know, I love the guy who goes, uh, brilliant, brilliant, it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, put some more effort into it, Amy. <laughs> he was big into The Office, wasn't he, David Bowie? Yeah. And obviously yeah. ended up in extras. But um, yeah. there's a very good um, YouTube video of him. It's kind of, I think it might be to promo extras or something. But he's... Um, <laughs> talking, uh, kind of doing a pastiche of an arrogant David Bowie where he's talking about how he's given Ricky Gervais all of his good jokes. <laughs> and what you realise is David Bowie's, he's a really funny comic actor. Do you know what yeah. I mean? He's, he's really good. Uh, yeah, the Ruttles, uh, the second Ruttles film that came out, um, are you a, 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 a Ruttles fan, Josh? I haven't seen the second one. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't bother. <laughs> uh, they, he basically did it in about 2003 or something without mm. any input from Neil Innes, so it's like mm. recut right. stuff. And But it's an absolute shit show, apart from David Bowie does mm. an interview in the style of the sort of Mick Jagger one from the original Ruttles. Oh, right, and yeah. it's absolutely well, it's bonkers, but it's brilliant. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's really, really funny. It's worth just yeah. selecting that clip. But, I, um, <laughs> I saw David Bowie at Glastonbury in 2000. Oh, wow. Um, nice. And what was interesting... So I was thinking about that the other day, and I Googled it to see, like, what the lineup was. Mm. And I, what came up was, like, a, some review from 2000 in The Independent, maybe, or something like that, but yeah. a proper broadsheet. And what was fascinating was it said, um, like, his opening was about how Glastonbury hadn't got the money of the other festivals, who'd got all of the big acts. Oh, wow, mm. yeah. And Glastonbury had had to, and they, they said they'd had to settle for Travis and David Bowie. Wow. <laughs> and it was like... Yeah, but that's the thing, like, it's before um, Another Day, that one. Yeah, yeah. Mm. There, there was that kind of just suggestion that his, his time had gone and, like, maybe yeah. he would do another album. Oh, yeah, yeah. Obviously, been rumours about him, but then it was kind of it's kind of this almost six musific musicification where there's this kind of. I remember Ellis saying when David Bowie died, it was like the Pope had died on six music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it was, it was this incredible like. It's just it's weird, and like you say, like twenty years ago, it was he was more part of the furniture, which is incredibly strange to think it's about. It's so now. weird because yeah, in yeah. my head, it had been a historic moment that david bowie had played glastonbury but yeah. i probably just built that into my own yeah. narrative afterwards yeah, yeah. yeah. His, no his stock was quite low mm. and then and there's a similar thing that's happened with these like every then time there's a big john lennon anniversary then people talk about double fancy in a similar sort of way yeah mm. and it's like double fancy is probably the worst album ever to win a grammy for best album for that reason <laughs> yeah. and then i was listening to six music this morning and people were going on about how brilliant double fantasies are. Yeah. there's a reason why every secondhand record shop in the country has at least five <laughs> copies yeah, of double true. fancy for a pound because yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the album that everyone bought but no one ever listened to yeah um, i um i saw so i put, saw paul mccartney when he did glastonbury in uh 04 was it or was it 05 yeah 05 that did feel like it mattered in the way that I remember David Bowie, but obviously was misled myself. But it felt like a, a hugely importantly yeah. one-off experience, which, of course, 
it was not going to be until COVID struck and maybe it will still be a one-off experience. Yeah, but yeah. like mm. that was a really amazing to see, you know, that's the, I've seen Paul McCartney again since, but that felt like a gig that I'm really, there's very few gigs you're at where you feel like it's an event. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I've I have the, that's funnily enough talking of your Rolling Stones World Cup thing. Uh, the, I saw him in 2010 in Hyde Park, the day that England got thrashed by Germany in the oh, yeah, oh, yeah, five, yeah. four five one or whatever it was. <clears throat> I was so depressed we almost didn't go. <laughs> right. <laughs> which, which now since we looked, we were just like, is anyone in the mood to go to this fucking thing? Like we we're all quite hungover yeah. and we were planning it in our minds that we would watch the football. Beat the Germans, go after Paul McCartney, have a nice sing song, <laughs> yeah. and didn't really consider them. We might get thrashed. It was an odd vibe because everyone was a bit. They they played it on the big screen there while yeah. poor old El- Elvis Costello was <laughs> plugging away to oh, about wow. a load of foreign yeah. tourists. Um, and then he came on, and it was absolutely the best time I've ever seen him. It was unforgettable. Yeah. The fact that I wow. even considered not going is nuts. <laughs> what I love about so when I saw him later, so it would have been about two thousand. 11 or maybe even 10 um he played hammersmith apollo for two nights before christmas mm-hmm. wow. and, yeah, and i, I got a ticket that. for one of them and it was i don't know why he was doing it but presumably just for fun really because yeah. mm. he played the 100 he, club and two dates at the hammersmith apollo yeah and it was mm. amazing and he came on and I think he did say something like his opening was like, let's have some fun. And you were just like, <laughs> this is a man that genuinely wants to do this in the yeah, way that yeah. if you go and see the Rolling Stones, you don't feel that they want to do this. <laughs> do you know? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I think Paul McCartney has got, I mean, he just wants to be playing music. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's rumours of a lockdown album, isn't there? That is he, there? He might have been recording. During this time, yeah, he did his first TikTok this week, which which is which is yeah, which is exactly <laughs> how you would expect it to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does he slip into patois like he did? Um, <laughs> luckily, he doesn't say anything, but he's dancing around to a sort of uh, a contemporary pop hit that I can't oh, say I know Jesus. the name of, but it's Wet pretty. Uh, it's pretty. <laughs> it might as well be. <laughs> God, that's it's it's a um, I don't know why he needs to do that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, well, it's the double edged sword of his boundless enthusiasm that you were just referring to, really, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, Yeah. you know, (laughs) if you want the man who literally wants to have fun every time, you know, he's played or sucker for the 18th time in his career, (laughs) (laughs) that's also the guy who's gonna do a TikTok. Yeah, we've talked about Dylan before, haven't we? But like, do you feel Dylan? When you saw Dylan, his heart's not in it. Yeah, it's a weird one because he's on a never-ending tour. Mm. So unless he has done some kind of grotty deal with the devil, what's he doing it for? He's on top form, you know. Yeah, that's when he plays. I wonder what that decision he makes about playing live. I mean, Van Morrison's another one, which is whenever he plays live, it's like you don't want to be here. No, he's going off on time and all that. But then Van Morrison's the first person that's annoyed at the lockdown because he can't play live. (laughs) I think what's kind of, from the experience of touring myself, obviously, you know, some gigs matter more than others. Mm. And... I can't. I I refuse to believe that the Rolling Stones or Bob Dylan on date two hundred 
Yeah. Are still excited. Yeah. I mm. Also, because they can't... At least at the end of every tour as a comedian, I start again. Mm. Yeah. I'm not still doing jokes. For, I, if I do a joke from four years ago, I feel a bit done with it. Right. Mm. So I don't know. But then maybe I... I don't think... I've got that thing that Paul McCartney's got, clearly, that passion. I mean, you know, there's many things that Paul McCartney's yeah. got that I haven't got. <laughs> but that's a weird thing with comedy, though, isn't it? I mean, like, you, you know, comedy's about reinvention, isn't it? You can't just go and do old routines. Or do, do, do sometimes no. you find that audiences want you to do routines they're familiar with? I don't no, know. no, I, I, I've never found that. No. I don't know if you've heard that kind of story about... Um, Michael McIntyre's doing a gig, like a new material gig, and he gets to the end and he's like, has anyone... it's just he's just trying stuff out. He's like, has anyone got any questions? <laughs> Someone goes, uh, do the material about getting a bus in the snow. And he goes, that's, that's not a question. <laughs> and then there he goes, any other questions? And the guy puts his hand up and goes, have you ever had to get a bus in the snow? <laughs> 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 I don't know. It's not the same, is it? It's the no. new material, old material thing is yeah. almost exactly the opposite in comedy and music. Yeah. I always think, mm. and Paul McCartney must suffer this hugely. I always think it must slightly hurt every time you say you're going to do something that isn't the Beatles yeah. or a new song. And we can all feel the shuffle to the bar or we can all yeah, hear yeah. the that I'm aware of the sound when I'm at a gig I'm aware of the different cheers that each song will get yeah, so yeah. Paul McCartney must be hyper yeah. aware of it yeah. yeah I mean no one's more aware than him I guess and he yeah. knows that he only there's a reason why he only plays two singles of whatever album he's touring Ooh, wow. but then the other like when that gig that I just mentioned I remember he played Ram On mm. which is you know, um, for me, I absolutely love that song. One of my favourite songs on Ram, even though it's mm. only sort of 90 seconds long. And then everyone just turned around and left and they're like, oh, he's playing some of his new shit. Right. <laughs> it's, like, it's on Ram. Like, uh, yeah. You're literally here to hear, hear like, paperback writer and daydream. <laughs> do we know, has he ever said, like, has he ever been asked, how does that feel? I'd love to know. Yeah. What I think he has, and he's very honest about it. He's like... You know, I know people will come because he, like in the Wings days, he didn't start playing Beatles songs until very late seventies. Mm. Yeah, and they were quite obs- they weren't the big hits, r- r- really, were they? He was he no, was he played like of... started with like Lady Madonna, and then mm. he used to play like sort of Let It Be. Mm. Um, okay, and now it's sort <laughs> of like 80 percent. But I suppose it's more like now because Wings are having a bit more of a resurgence. He plays a bit more sort of Wingsy. Mm. stuff and he played like temporary secretary last time i saw really yeah (laughs) (laughs) do you think that's the bits he enjoys the most is or do you like i'd I'd just be i don't know what the answer is like just be fascinated to know when he's playing stuff like that or whether he's playing when he's playing a song off the new album is he thinking this one's for me and i'm gonna really enjoy this or is he going i can just fucking see them moving around and it's it's absolutely (laughs) like I don't know. Well, it must be like you're there to plug the record and you've got to at least pretend that <laughs> you enjoy it. 
and now one of my new songs, which is nowhere near as good as any of my old yeah. songs. With his, with his more experimental stuff and like the Fireman stuff, you know, I think he, a part of what he, I think he's enjoying is how he's, you know, subverting expectations of what people mm. want from him, you know. But maybe he is just relish. I like the Fireman stuff and, you know, the more experimental end yeah. of his what he's doing but i think yeah I, I, who knows i don't know <laughs> yeah but you only have to yeah. sort of look around at the crowd at one of those gigs to realize that the you know 99 percent of people are there for a, to hear you know a very yeah. specific set of songs yeah but, yeah and they absolutely love it and you know the older he gets i think the more willing he is to just be a walking greatest hits tour yeah mm. i think yeah. also he's probably not got the same neuroses as me in the sense of I don't think he's there thinking, oh, am I going to lose them here? Like, <laughs> thinking, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. confident there, yeah. him back with a couple of songs that aren't. Yeah, know. I'd love to see him do a noise set though, you know, just <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, God. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When I saw, I remember seeing Springsteen at um, Glastonbury and hmm. I was struck by the demographic there where, so it was one of those years at Glastonbury where there's like, you know, I think they were always doing it now. Where there's like so many flags and there was a, a Springsteen fan just started talking to this woman next to me and Springsteen wasn't on for like another four hours. And he said, you know, those flags are going to get in the way of people trying to watch uh, Bruce Springsteen later. <laughs> I think, which is, uh, I think there's a lot of people who are quite, oh, it sounds really weird, but like, it's almost like a collecting, a collecting thing where the, it's, you kind of, you don't, you know, you, you want to kind of preserve something in amber and don't have yeah. any of the distractions of life around you. You kind of, yeah. you want to absorb this moment of historical importance of seeing Paul McCartney or someone like Bruce Springsteen. Do you know what I mean? Like, I totally, yeah, I totally know what you mean. It's, yeah. it's that thing of being at a gig, certainly with Glastonbury as well, you'll probably be smashed by the time they come on. Yeah. So <laughs> how much of Paul McCartney do I remember from yeah. being there? And how much yeah, do I remember yeah. because I've watched it on YouTube loads of times when I've got yeah, him drunk? Yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. But those sort of legend slots at Glastonbury, they are a bit of a sort of box-ticking exercise because, yeah. you know, I can mm. say I've seen 
The Who, but yeah. I haven't really seen The Who. <laughs> you know, I've seen yeah, The Who right. in 2009 on the pyramid stage <laughs> from about on half a mile away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then that's the thing, if you allow for a bit of the chaos to enter. Like, I remember I was at a music festival in Australia, Byron Bay uh, Blues blues jazz jazz blues anyway uh it was Mm. the pogues were headlining and um you know i sort of just drifted along to see it and i wasn't i was absolutely like blown away it's probably one of the best gigs i've ever seen but it was like it was like it was chaotic and you know it was part of a festival and that's why i loved it it wasn't this it wasn't too formal i think that's what i'm trying to say i wasn't trying to just watch it and enjoy this seeing this kind of very famous band i was just Mm. in that kind of festival spirit i guess i think one of the things the advantages of festivals or big festival is you know you see someone on a tuesday night in london yeah and you do go half the people here are thinking about getting whether they're going to make that train yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know there's all babysitter yeah. issues there's yeah, all yeah. kinds mm. of things shall we shall we beat the rush to the tube because we don't want to see the there's is unless you go and see a band almost on a friday or a saturday night no one's it, it doesn't feel like it's free do you know what i mean yeah. like mm. it, it feels like you know what was the last gig I went to see? I haven't been to see a gig for ages, obviously, because yeah. I've just realised we're under lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> I went to see, so I went to see Fontaine's DC at oh, yeah. Brixton Academy. Hmm. I was with Ellis actually. There was about five of us, and it was like Tuesday night. I was like, do you know what? I'm not going to have a drink because I've got to work tomorrow. And like, <laughs> what is this event yeah. that I'm doing? I'm, yeah. You're kind of <laughs> you're sort of slightly relieved when it's over. <laughs> you know, yeah. Is this the last song? Oh, oh okay. Thinking, There's another one. Oh, yeah. I'm going to treat myself to an Uber. That's what I'm yeah. going to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so weird. But yeah, mm. it's, it's weird that yeah. But so festivals sometimes it can go terribly wrong, but sometimes it can really hit the sweet spot and like. It, you you actually genuinely experience something magical watching something live. Well, you know? I think yeah. I've got that more at festivals than at the regular gig. Like I was saying to you about, um, you know, after two hundred gigs, what's special to the band anymore? Mm. But I think there's certain gigs that you know. I think that's one of the things. You're right. It is a kind of jukebox gig, the headlining Glastonbury. But mm. conversely, it is also a gig that you know is important in that band's diary all year. Yeah. yeah, you know yeah. that they've circled that as <laughs> this is like this is the one that I yeah. need to do well at. This is the one I care about, and I think there's a lot to be said from for that element being part of it, mm. and just convincing. Mm. Even if you're convincing yourself of that, I think yeah, yeah. Oh, it can absolutely tip it over to the edge into like unforgettable. You know, yeah. if you've seen sort of like Blur, when did Blur headline the Pyramid Stage 2009? Oh, or I was at no, that one. I didn't see that, and it's probably the greatest heartbreak of my life. But yeah. That was like a proper moment where you <laughs> yeah. that, that you track. take stock and think, "This is I'm very lucky to be here, mm. which you don't tend to get. You know, you're very lucky if you mm. get there at Brixton Academy and Damon Albarn's crying. This <laughs> is <Yeah>. so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That was amazing. I was at that gig. That was yeah. yeah. Incredible. I didn't go that year because I'd just been through a uh, heart uh, breakup. Right. And, oh. um, and my girlfriend went and I didn't. My ex-girlfriend, I should say. Mm. Fucking hell. Well, Double whammy. I ideally edit that because it is 11 <laughs> years. 
Um, but, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, it wasn't that, that was, good. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> but that, I don't understand anyone that can watch Glastonbury when they're not. They haven't been there, or they weren't yeah. there. These people. When I'm not there and Glastonbury's on the TV, it just feels like an. A, incomparable experience i don't find any joy in watching these bands that mm. and thinking i wish i was there or thinking that looks rubbish Do you know <laughs> what i mean it just mm. it doesn't translate to tv for me in yeah. any way really it's similar i find this exactly the same feeling watching most stand up on tv totally agree yeah and i guess when you watch something like taking it back to the beatles when you that um ron howard film where it, yeah. it's all about the sort of shea stadium thing it's like it just seems you feel so far removed from it, and mm. you, you mm. like. I didn't. I thought that film was actually did it, like failed in trying to sort <laughs> of set, like express what it was like to the madness of the Beatles, which has been done in lots of brilliant films. Mm. Like yeah, Hard yeah. Day's Night does a better yeah. job of it and stuff. And when you watch um, them play Shea Stadium, and, and it's a similar thing of them knowing that that's that's the last one, or the mm. rooftop gig where. You know, they're like, this is a gig of significance, and mm. everything is upped. And yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think that's the thing is like thinking, have they been nervous before they walked on stage? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Someone mm. told me that one of the most, I don't know who it was. Someone I know who works in the music industry said one of the most amazing things they've ever seen is that they were at the side of the stage for the Rolling Stones at Glastonbury in 2013. Mm. And they, at the end of the gig, they watched as the band united to say goodnight together. And then they walked off. As they walked off, four limousines pulled up straight away. (laughs) They all walked straight into the fort and they were gone within like 30 seconds. Wow. It was just like they just disappeared. Like this military precision operation. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I couldn't believe like how amazingly like like precise and like what a thing it was. Yeah. Yeah. When I I played a green man with with Jan Tearson Mm. who, who I used to play with and um we it's bizarre actually because we were on after we were on the main stage after Van Morrison because Van oh. Morrison was headlining but he wanted to get away earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> so I can say Van Morrison supported me, but the yeah. um but Van Morrison left the stage, his band was still going, and you were looking at the stage and this helicopter went off behind. <laughs> I might be misremembering this, but I'm sure it's true. But yeah, yeah, Van, Van was already, the band was still playing the last song, and Van was in the air on his way back to whatever he does on his own. So, so he know. gets to a festival go, could you, could you close this one for me? Like, I've got to go. That's, yeah, 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 yeah that's that? like a comedy thing. Yeah. Do you mind if I go on first? Because uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got a longer drive than you. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's absolutely mad, mm. isn't it? I wouldn't think yeah. Van Morrison was a big enough deal anymore. Not to sound like Bowie two thousand, but I wouldn't have thought it was <laughs> yeah. a big enough deal to well, be able to he, move he, down a festival set at will. <laughs> Well, I think he was—he hit the kind of that sort of slightly good prime time slot early evening thing, mm. I think. Where and it was kind of family yeah. friendly, I guess. 
But yeah, Van yeah. Morrison has toured every year, you know, since COVID, much to mm. his chagrin. He seems to be putting in like a sort of almost sarcastic amount of dates at the moment because yeah. I think I, I follow <laughs> him on sort of Ent24 or whatever it is at the moment so I get yeah. a notification every time and every time <laughs> one can, gets cancelled you can hear me like oh fuck here comes a 10 yeah. more of the <laughs> yeah, yeah. COVID thing <laughs> Oh, he great. used to play a pub near me. He used to know a landlord in really? Ashburton in Devon. Wow! At, uh, it was called the Lanterns uh, in yeah in on Dartmoor. Mm. So mm. when I he it would be a pub that would have like you know a kind of I remember my friend's band playing there. Really? But Van Morrison <laughs> would have played occasionally. This must have been mid to late nineties. He'd occasionally wow. just do a gig there because he was mates with the landlord. Really? Did you ever see him there? No, because <laughs> at the time it didn't mean anything. He didn't mean yeah, yeah. anything to me. I wasn't yeah, yeah. into mm. Van Morrison, so it must have been early. Not it was. It was before I was aware that seeing Van Morrison in a pub would be a good thing. God, I'd worry that COVID has made us be kind of so nostalgic for th- just anything like that, like any mm-hmm. scraps. You know, I mean, that's a good scrap. Van Morrison playing in a pub, but <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean, like. Yeah, that the, the way we talk about the '60s now of kind of, or you know, even the '90s, it's kind of like how we're talking about last year now with COVID. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, mm. <laughs> that's kind of, that's it, kind of yeah. it's definitely. I, but I think that's you know, if nostalgia, in a weird way, gets a kind of bad rap. And I'm not. <laughs> I would never say that. Like, oh god, the past is so much better. But I think <laughs> one of the things. I get most to take it back to the Beatles to get mm. I get most out of listening to it is just kind of imagining what their life was like as they as they recorded this imagining yeah. Mm. what it was like to be in 1968 and be in the Beatles and yeah. I think it just it I think that's the thing we talk about them being part of the culture but I think that's part of what makes it magical mm. is that it unlike any other band everything associated with them kind of is so exciting and frames it in such a way that it while the songs are peerless i think Mm. it goes far beyond that in that it's that kind of narrative that is kind of defined pop music ever since do you know what i mean Mm. yeah i just don't think you um to go back on uh your own podcast and guy <laughs> chambers said about whether you know beyonce is the same level now but i just don't think anything could ever be of that level or could ever repeat that because yeah. everything's too connected everything's too based mm. on what's yeah. gone before there's no innocence mm. to anything everything mm. is a in the in the sense that be, could beyonce be compared to the beatles it ruins the question in itself because you know the fact she's being compared to the Beatles shows that everything's kind of comparable to that, if you know what I mean. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It's definitely the cultural sort of framework is so incomparable now to how it was then. Maybe like the Beatles resurgence during Britpop is because we got a little tiny taste of that with, you know, superstar bands that were everywhere like Oasis. Mm. You know, it was a, it was a, a, yeah. a fraction of what the Beatles were, but it, it was something that was comparable for the first time. So everyone was really mm. quick to pick that ball up and sort of run with it and mm. compare. And, and do you think the Beatles 
the other key way that the Beatles' time is comparable to that time in the mid-90s is that it was happening to a very small amount of people in London. And we imagine the 60s yeah. as London. And, mm. and you imagine the 90s as Damien Hirst in the Grouch Show with Alex James. But in actual <laughs> fact... yeah. We all know. I don't, I don't know where you were, but I was never <laughs> fucking near that. You know? yeah. Like, yeah. most yeah. people didn't live that. and that, But to yeah. us, because we didn't live through it, it feels like the Beatles was... Well, yeah, I think the nostalgia's made them perfect in a way. You know, mm. we've kind of... That story... You know, they didn't put a foot wrong. I, you know, I was trying to say this in another podcast. I didn't quite get it right. But did, did you ever like R.E.M. in the 90s? Um, not in the same way that other people liked R.E.M., but I like, yeah. I like mm. R.E.M., do you know what I mean? Sure, yeah, because yeah. I, I, I wouldn't, like I wouldn't uh, say I'm an R.E.M. fan as my question, what music do you like? If <laughs> <laughs> but, like, um, I was, uh, I loved Automatic for the People, mm. like, after it had come out, like, my brother had it on tape, and it was just, I just thought it was, like, a perfect album. And then I was kind of around and conscious of them when Monster came out, which was the 94 album, which was like slightly more grungy. And it was a huge thing. Like they did a huge stadium tours, you know, and um, I was just aware that somehow they've lost it. That mm. This isn't as good. Mm. And like, and it, I, looking back now is because it was happening in the present. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whereas, you know, automatic for the people was something I got in after after the fact and the Beatles were something obviously we experienced after the fact so you look back at it and it's not sullied by being in, in the present yeah, <laughs> if that yeah. Sound, you know there's no they didn't put a foot wrong because we've we've kind of made it into history and into memory and well, it, I don't know yeah no it's, I mean it's that this might thing be the of like talking. what would what effect would the Beatles legacy would would there have been a huge effect on the Beatles legacy if John Lennon had still been alive and they'd reformed for a string of mm. uh, serious moonlight style megatons, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, yeah. like how much Absolutely. would that? Have, yeah, hundred percent. I think the summer, and also you forget that there was this kind of unanswered question throughout the whole of the seventies of whether would they, will they, won't they? Mm. Every one of them asked her, mm. and then there's in a very abrupt full stop put on that when yeah. John Lennon gets mm. gunned down and then you can start to reassess the legacy now that mm. the idea of them getting back together is never going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Whereas mm. and I think that really kind of helps. And it's like people are still banging on about like the Smiths reunions and stuff now. And it's mm. like, but I, th I think that ship sailed in the last <laughs> yeah. two years. <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> if you yeah. can give Morrissey yeah. credit for one thing that he stopped the talk of the Smiths reunions. That is <laughs> Actually, maybe that's, maybe that's all part of his game plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's only one way I'm going to put this to bed. I've got to become yeah. an abominable racist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Work like Christ. a charm. But yeah, I was obsessed with the idea of a Smith's reunion for the last, up until 2018, maybe. It yeah. kind of was, if someone had said to me, who would be your dream band to see live? I'd say the Smiths. Mm. Mm. But um, I, I'm probably glad it didn't happen. <laughs> I saw the Stone Roses in Heaton Park. Yeah, awful. Oh, yeah. It was awful. Yeah. Was it? It was terrible. I, I saw them in Finsbury Park and they were... At, I mean, it was a fun day because you're with a lot of 
fans celebrating. I mean, the the best thing that came out of it was the Shane Meadows documentary, and right. then the the gigs were like a sort of terrible DVD extra. <laughs> <laughs> I bet there was a lot of Adidas going on there. It must have been wall to wall. It was the scariest atmosphere I've ever been in at a gig, I think. Really? Because, really? Yeah, because there was, um, you know, at festival or big gigs where there's just, well, it's any bar, isn't it? There's just no queue system. Mm. And there was so much crushing at the bar, they closed the bars. Fuck. Oh, God. So... so it's one was, way to make a load of manks yeah, really was, angry. So there's just lots of angry manks. No ability to get any alcohol despite everyone having drunk all day. <laughs> and then they were kind of in, you know, like the uh, talk of these kind of circuit breaker lockdowns we might do uh, mm. for the, for COVID. They were kind of trying to intermittently open the bar to calm people down and then have to close it back up again. It was absolutely carnage. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. But wow. musically, was it as bad as with the way I remember it and... I remember the rhythm section being really good, but Ian Brown's singing just being... The, the, this, I mean, I've seen him a few times. It was but. bad as well, because it was, you know, it, it just, like, it It was difficult to tell. Like, it was one of those things where it was getting blown about in the wind and stuff, mm. and the sound quality was all over the shop. Um, and then there's no public transport, so we had to walk back into Manchester. The whole thing wow. was... Yeah, so, I actually I wasn't going to go because I'd heard I'd seen Ian Bowen a few times before and I'm like I really love that record but I'm not a huge Stone Roses fan mm, and I no. was reviewing films at the time and I interviewed um, Shane Meadows ah. for the documentary that he made yeah and I told him that I'm I had a ticket but I was I was going to sell it um, because you know I, I was I'm trying to save a bit of money or whatever and he was like but if you do one thing in your life mate you go to that gig it'll be amazing oh, wow. <laughs> there's absolute bollocks <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. Thanks, do, you, do you feel that free as a bird in any way damages the beatles um reputation no i love i really like free as a bird yeah, i like free as a bird i mean it was Looking back, it's kind of a weird thing to do. There's something. It, bit... It's an odd coda. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's like mm. an odd. But I'm, I'm not so much in that it's a terrible song, because obviously there's terrible songs in their canon, but like in the sense of, you know, we, we talk about whether if they got back together, that would have ruined their reputation. They might have done good stuff, but it's whether the, the, the one of the beauties of it is quite how short the whole thing was. Yeah. Mm. How there's that full stop. Mm. Yeah. I think it was because of the way it came about. It was that they were, when they agreed to do the anthology, they were going to make, the original idea was to make some sort of incidental music mm. for the three of them, mm. which sounds like a pretty bad idea. And yeah. then Yoko was like, okay, you can have these two demos that have been knocking around. Yeah. Um, and then when they like, realised the technology, like my only gripe with it is the sort of, you know, Jeff Lynne might have been the only person around who had the sort of technical capability to do it. Mm. But it's just, it's, uh, the production on it is so Jeff Lynne-y. Yeah. Right. That yeah. you would have preferred it sounded, you know, they had sort of made it sound a bit more sort of retrograde. And Touching. you can also tell in the DVD extras of the anthology that George Harrison really doesn't want to be there. And that's a bit <laughs> sort of hard to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I remember John Peel at the time of Free as a Bird saying how much he kind of didn't like the Paul edition of it, the whatever happened to... Oh, really? The, you know, because oh, wow. he just thought yeah. it was just such a... 
He he said like John would have hated that. It was like too obvious. It, you know, I don't know. It's part of. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it is. It's very mawkish. It's very kind of sentimental, classic Paul kind of thing. That, yeah. That yeah. line, isn't it? There's a good, um, well, and also just doesn't mean anything in true yeah, <laughs> yeah, style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the most fatic language. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. And he didn't, I think he said that he really didn't enjoy doing the real love version because the song was finished and right. the reason why he got so excited about the um, Free as a Bird was that it felt like they were collaborating again because he right. had that bridge to put mm, in it. And stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I thought, I think the, the, the Lennon part of that song is great it is really beautiful yeah yeah but I, and I it's did... a technical marvel when you listen to the cassette demo that they managed to get yeah anything out of it mm. um just a good job that they stopped there and didn't go and do that to a load didn't, of other records didn't do a two-pack <laughs> yeah <laughs> hologram, hologram john on stage <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. Yeah, it's lucky that there's I and mean, that's there's not Hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of stuff that there would mm. be now, I suppose. Yeah. Mm. But I think, um, I think it, it felt exciting at the time. But it, yeah, I, I don't know when I'd ever put it on. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I, I, I suppose one of the reasons you wouldn't put it on is it's very because it's because it's a single in its sense. If I think mm. I'm going to listen to the Beatles, I probably it's so unlikely that I then take the step to go, and that song is going to be yeah. for his averse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's yeah. not many people's first dances at their weddings, yeah. I'd imagine. <laughs> I remember if it's anyone's th- favourite Beatles song. Jeff Lynne's. Yeah, I remember um, every day going to school, we used to, the, the, I went got a lift with a, a DT teacher who'd play classic gold. This like an oldie <laughs> station, and Free as a Bird mm. was the only time they ever played a contemporary song. <laughs> it felt kind of historical at the time. I used to, uh, when I did XFM, the next room, if you were, this was the XFM studio, but if you're pre recording, there's like a different part of the building. Mm. And the next studio was gold, which would be playing out, but there was never a DJ in there. Right. So it's like, it like automated. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But like, what do you mean? You never saw a DJ in there, just or they never just saw ne- someone in there. But right, you'd always yeah. just be playing out, like song after song. Well, yeah. High hopes, silver lining, and stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> capital guard. Well, am I right in this? Is very tangential. But am I right in thinking that they used to play football commentary on Capital Gold in the nineties? Yeah, they and did. Jonathan Pierce used they to. Did. Because there's a kind of um, there's a bit of football commentary where um, Jonathan Pierce is doing Capital Gold, and they're sponsored by something. Do you remember when England let in a goal after eight seconds against San Marino? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. I remember mm. that because my friend at school the next day said he timed it and it was much longer because it was in <laughs> slow motion. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. But, yeah um, seconds, I don't know what yeah. they were sponsored by, but. Um, Jonathan Pierce was contractually obliged to do this intro at kickoff, so it went. Um, and that's a ki- hello. I'm Jonathan Pierce. This is England versus San Marino, kicking off on Capital Gold in association with Carlsberg Export, and it's one nil to San Marino. <laughs> 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 Carlsberg stops. <laughs> <That's> straight through. <laughs> that's amazing. <It's> amazing. Yeah. <laughs> So, Josh, one question that we ask everyone on the show, we only have one stock question. Do you have a controversial Beatles opinion? Yeah, I do. Um, which I, I, 
I find 70% of Sergeant Pepper unlistenable. <laughs> that is controversial. That's an interesting one, though, the Sergeant Pepper yeah. thing. I, well, I go, think come on, you, the, you, you, I, you, you do your reasons, because I've got my reasons. I think they're standout songs that are obviously brilliant in their own right. Mm. Uh, but I find the concept of Sergeant Pepper's very annoying. Right. Mm. <laughs> I find the kind of... I, I think what I don't like, I never like in music, is is I'm not into quirky sounds. Mm. Right. Um, whether that be a kind of a, a, a circus-style yeah. sound or... The penny a, whistle, the whippy penny, cushion, yeah, exactly. the clacker. Anything that's kind of, <laughs> you know, end of the pier, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, okay. I have the same problem, uh, which would be another controversial opinion, with uh, the Beach Boys and Pet Sounds. I have the same mm, problem really? that there's... Yeah, I find too much of that get into the quirky sound section. Yeah. Um, and that's not like, it's not a reasoned opinion, and it's not something that I think is correct, but it's something that, I, 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 I like, I'm not going out and going, I think Pet Sounds is bad. I've mm. really tried. Really? Because I know, do you know, and I, right. in that sense, yeah. if I really tried to like this, because I know... Yeah. By definition, I should, because everything else, that I, yeah. every, everyone that likes it likes the same stuff as me. Mm. But I can never get beyond the quirky sounds. I think Sergeant Peppers is too full of them. Right. Mm. And it, is there, there it, any it, sort of particular offenders? I, I'm assuming we're talking sort of when I'm 64, Benefit yeah, and Mr. Benefit Kite. Mr. Kite is pretty, pretty unbearable for that. <laughs> um, we got a tweet this week from someone saying, stop slagging off Benefit of Mr. Kite. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, that guy. Um, yeah, yeah. I, weird hill to die on. <laughs> the uh, the Sergeant Pepper in itself, the opening song ha- is a good song, but then it, I think it goes into even crowd sound. I find annoying the hubbub and yeah. There's a great bit in the, the um, in the Fab Fools book we were talking, the Jem Roberts book, where he's talking about how Paul McCartney loved the idea of when he was listening to radio comedy and there was a physical joke and you heard the audience laughter. He loved that kind of surreal juxtaposition yeah. of just laughter on its mm. own. So that's why he wanted to include that in Sergeant Pepper, the laughter and you don't know why they're laughing. It's very odd, isn't it, when you I, think I, about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I once was, um, I don't know what I was, I was a guest on Danny Baker's show on Radio 5. Mm. Mm. And um, I think Danny Baker's a superb broadcaster. And he, I, we, it was just like an interview and he went to press a... Um, a sound effect, or whatever you'd call it in radio. They said they've got a better name than that. Graham, maybe? Yeah. And he pressed the wrong mm. one, and it was like a kind of... Uh, I can't remember what it was, but it was like... Well, no, it was like, like a long Bartridge. bit of music. That was, yeah, it was a long bit of music that you'd have behind a magician or something. And instead of cancelling it, he kind of went along with it, and he hushed us, and then he made us kind of occasionally applaud as if there was magic tricks suddenly going on within really? the Really? Oh, that's very And it very was really clever. like, I was just like so kind of bowled over that he'd yeah. made such a brave choice to do that rather than go, oh, wow. God, cocked up there. Yeah, mm. that's but good. that was a time when I enjoyed quirky sounds. But <laughs> I, d- I don't, I, and it's not My, I have a reason, I'm not going, this is mm. annoying to ever. Mm. I just it doesn't play with me in some way, in the same yeah. way that... I think a lot of... You get away with a lot under the umbrella of psychedelia, mm. whereas I think the worst offender of that is um, Uncle Albert on Ram, where he just does a, a telephone noise where he goes like... Brr, brr, 
But right. just with his mouth, though, it's not even a real <laughs> telephone. It's a, what an incredibly odd decision. This yeah. really beautiful song with George Martin's strings all over it. He tried to he tried to stretch the telephone into the studio room, but he couldn't quite get it. In, <laughs> yeah. So he had to do it yeah. himself. Yeah, we got an hour. <laughs> yeah. My thing with Sergeant Pepper is I always found like I remember when I first heard it. Um, and there were certain songs. This is a really obvious point, but there were mm. certain songs I loved, and I, I always loved "Fixing a Hole," and I always loved "She's Leaving Home" and "Day in the Life." Mm. But like, I would—you could never just play a bit to someone. It's like when I first heard it, I—I I just loved the whole thing, and it was like I had mm. a cassette deck, and my dad taped the vinyl copy for me, and it was like hearing sunlight or something. Every song mm. was part of this vibe. And even if those individual parts didn't all match up, it all—it was the first time I guess I loved an album because I loved every bit of it. So I know we've been a bit like critical of Sergeant Pepper and you know benefit of Mr. Kite and stuff, but that I, I part you know it's one of those things you could never play. Oh, like have a listen to Mr. Kite, you'll love this. No, you know you just mm. listen to the whole thing and it'll you know. I, it, I, it, I, it, I it think my problem with Sergeant Pepper is, and I, this is my problem with concept albums in general. Yeah. Is that I get the feeling like um, that it's they're always half a concept album, yeah, and half the best songs that you've also got kicking around. <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah. they run out of ideas after yeah, the first song. Because you don't, you can't, yeah. So it's a bit like when you see a comedian's Edinburgh show, yeah. and they've clearly got a concept, but they've also got the 20 minutes that's really working for them at the moment. So they'll kind of <laughs> yeah, never yeah. in the bit about washing machines yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So bookend it with the illusion of structure yeah. in the middle yeah. and call it a reprise yeah. at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. I don't know if you... What's that, that second album by The Streets? Is it A Grand Don't Come For Free? I don't know oh, if you yeah, yeah. Mm, And yeah, that yeah. was like this concept album about... But there is a through line there to is a that. Through line line that. Yeah. That's, but that's yeah. almost the most conceptual... Most yeah, consistently yeah. conceptual album I've ever heard. <laughs> it's actually yeah. not a narrative and a story. Yeah. And yeah, but I don't think the narrative really helps after you've heard it the first time, because there's a twist, and yeah. you're like, I don't know how much I need <laughs> a twist at the end of an album. It's like, like watching <laughs> Sixth Sense over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The last ten minutes are great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think yeah. they admit that they sort of gave up on the concept idea after they had written the first few i think it's only the first two songs mm. and then they're mm. just like well, i can't really be bothered with this anymore yeah i, yeah. I think the thing with silent purpose is you always presume it's the best one because it's got the most when you're a kid it's got the most iconic cover mm. it's the it's like mm. the image of the beatles and it's the most famous it is the most famous beatles album really mm. yeah. i'd say but it's probably not even in the top five a lot of it comes from America as well, where in America it's much more heralded as the finest right. Beatles record because Revolver was so, the release of Revolver was so mishandled mm -hmm. in America that a lot of people never had that record and the version of it that they did have had alternate track listings and yeah. so i mean my i remember it's always the record that gets spoofed in like the simpsons mm. whatever it, rob um sheffield talks about it in his book and it was right. very like much not in the american public consciousness until mm. later so if you think about those american parodies of the simpsons or whatever yeah. they're all you know you would never see a, a, a copy of revolver anywhere but mm. i suppose the fact that that like, cover is so iconic but i'll dig my hills in for sergeant pepper actually mm. it might just be because it was the first one that i fell in love with but listening back to the um 
there's something about the ambition of it and the ballsiness mm. of we're mm. the best band in the world. We've just made Revolver, and this is what we're going to do next, and it's going to yeah. absolutely blow your socks off. You know, I quite like that. That that sort of in any record where everyone's remit is go, it's like homogenic or something. Yeah. Anywhere where they're like, let's go as big as possible. I, I also think like, like I I had a thing was certainly growing up and getting into music where whenever there was a big iconic album, I'd you know. Like, I, I'd sort of, getting into Astral Weeks, it was a journey. Like, why do so many people say this is great? Yeah. And getting into Trout, Trout Mask is, like, the Everest of those yeah, kinds of still, things. Yeah, I'm yeah. still very much at the bottom of that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love yeah. it. But I'm I, at base camp. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> my, I, but, Trout, but, like, it, it's one of those things where, you, and Pet Sounds as well. Like, it took me a long time to get into Pet Sounds. But I love that when there's a journey and there's a challenge and then you get you do get to this moment of clarity of, like, yeah. You know, the scales Pet, lifted from your eyes. Yeah. You're like, oh, God, yes, I see what they're doing now. Pet sounds only really clicked for me about four or five years ago, actually. I've always right. loved all the singles off it, but mm. there was a moment where it suddenly all made sense, and now yeah. I'm almost like almost scared of listening to that record because it affects me so like yeah. profoundly emotionally. So do you think I should persist? Absolutely, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I've been persisting yeah. for probably 20 years. <laughs> what I would say, my advice would be to j- juggle up the running order and listen right. to it on sort of random a bit. Because mm. I found it, I, you know, obviously God Only Knows is yeah. the greatest pop song ever written. Mm. I don't think many people would dispute that. But, you know, there's so much texture and... The instrumentals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you listen to... Um, there's a, this is a bit tangential, but the Fleet Foxes record that mm. came out a couple of weeks ago and Robin Pecknell talks about how his whole inspiration is basically based on this one kind of outtake, which is on YouTube, of Brian Wilson doing the guide vocal for Don't Talk, Put Your Head on My Shoulder. And that was the thing that made me sort of click mm. with like how incredible his layering and how natural his like harmony and stuff is he's like second to none well, so that's the thing because i had the seat my dad's cd of pet sounds like had maybe it was before the days of like massive box sets it just had like five or six bonus tracks and one of the bonus tracks was that vocal arrangement and just like mm. fucking hell it was incredible you know yeah yeah it's like stops you in the tracks yeah, tears yeah. in the eyes yeah. sort of thing one two Let's overdub that voice. I'll I'll persist. And also, similarly with Trout Mask, if you do want to get into Trout Mask, I think the secret with Trout Mask... No, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, but anyway, just muting... uh, The the secret with Trout Mask is, uh, yeah, definitely... It's it's a surprisingly accessible album that's very top-heavy with difficult tracks. Right. So there's like there's about ten songs in there, which if you listen to them, you'd think, why does this album have a difficult reputation? Because it's you could get into those songs; they're really groovy and really funky and amazing. And mm. so it's funny. like when you meet someone who's got a difficult reputation, they're fine half of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> His heart's in the right place. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, yeah. Would you not recommend Christ. to back into it from something like ClearSpot? Yeah, then? yeah. I've so I've tried that. I've 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 yeah. I've enjoyed. Um, I'm not. Is it Mirror Man? Is that one of them? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I've, but I every time I put Trout Mask on, yeah, it feels like I'm being pranked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's because it starts with the like well probably the hardest song on it. Hard. Like it's, it, it but it's like the day I admit that I like Trout Mask will be the day that everyone kind of goes, We knew we could fucking talk you into this bullshit. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Emperor's new clothes, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Oh god, maybe yeah. I've been pranked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that was Josh Widdicombe, um, an embarrassment of riches in that episode. It was yeah. really, really fun. Really enjoyed that one. Yeah, that was a great episode. We really covered a lot of ground. Um, I really like... A lot of the episodes seem to focus on the 90s, which yeah. I guess makes sense because of our kind of demographic. But yeah, that was great. And so now you will have heard the Kate Bush reference. And it's on YouTube. <laughs> we'll post a link to the Kate Bush clip and you can see what you think is she coming up with that off the top of her head or is she actually quoting the charlie higson character from the far show who can say uh kate if you want to get in touch do your own personal <laughs> yeah. beatles please do um kate at bush.com oh, <laughs> i mean that might be her email address um yeah bush.com is not i don't wouldn't recommend going <laughs> surfing around for that but okay. um, yeah, she is a Beatles fan, isn't she? I think in her first band that was sort of quite punky, she did mm. um, a cover of "Come Together." Oh right, so okay. Maybe she would like to come on and clear up this whole fast show nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, I've been enjoying a lot recently is Ariel, and I don't know if you ever watched. If you watched what, the, us. the dishwasher powder. Yeah, I actually am. That's a separate point, but uh, I can recommend Ariel, Ariel Washing Powder. Yeah. Ariel Future Color. But the Ariel album is great. I don't know if you saw us, mm. the Tom Tom Hollander program. No, uh, I didn't. It's very, very good, actually. Uh, and they made fantastic use of the Coral Room from Ariel, which is an unbelievably beautiful song. So maybe we could put that in the playlist. Um, I, one thing, I mean, I know we need to wrap this up, but you're excited about McCartney 3. We really should have mentioned this. Yeah, we? we haven't really talked about that. <laughs> we'll, we'll, um, you know, we'll be back next week with yeah. um, slightly more time, so maybe we can, you know, we'll get round to reading some of your emails and stuff, and yeah, there have sure. been some great ones. So apologies, we just wanted to keep this episode nice and short, but... There's yeah, I am. Episode, I like yeah. the little, um, I like the little tr like tease that they put out, and it sounds like it's you know very McCartney one in style. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we take what we can get these days. <laughs> yeah. Have you noticed how whenever he's photographed playing the guitar, he's smiling, and whenever he's photographing <laughs> the bass, he's smiling. But whenever it's the drums, his mouth is that perfect O shape. Oh, always the drums. Right. It's always yeah, he's probably concentrating thing. a bit harder. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It looks and sounds like he's having a lot of fun and Yeah, I, when I thought I immediately thought of like um coming up kind of vibe when yeah, I heard yeah. that little clip of McCartney 2 sort of thing. Uh it's sort of got that loose funky thing going on. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah, coming up is the best Talking Heads song that wasn't mm. isn't by the Talking Heads. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, where are you going with that one? Yeah. Um, no, it looks like, I mean, it would be fun to just play all those instruments. And, you know, he's playing on the Elvis Presley double yeah, bass yeah. and really that nice beautiful telly that he's got. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. It's a shame. I mean, usually the thing I'm most excited about when there's a new Paul McCartney record is that it goes hand in hand with a tour, which yeah. is 
obviously not going to be the case in in this. Do you think there will be some kind of miraculous thing where it was like I, I reckon the vaccine will be announced like the day it comes out or something? There will be this. <laughs> the kind vaccines of... are going to go on toward covering <laughs> McCartney three. I mean, that would be that would be good. I mean, that it? would really cap off a, a pretty bad year with a quite a positive spin at the end. Yeah, and I think the best thing for me about this album is that in a lot of the sort of promotional materials they've used the tagline "Made in Rockdown." Um, yeah, and and I can't help feeling that at some point he must have considered that for the title, <laughs> before someone that we all have to thank was like, "How yeah. about McCartney 3? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, uh, and awful. did you have you heard the One O Tricks Point Never album? No, oh, it's very good. No. That came out last week. Uh, I've been enjoying oh, nice. that this weekend. Treasure show. That, I mean, think... that is that was that was made in Rockdown. <laughs> no, sweet. But it's a, a slightly different feel to McCartney Three, but it's brilliant. I think it's one of his best ones, and it's it's like listening to a very strange radio station on deeply unpleasant drugs. That's how I oh, describe nice. it. It's, it's a very good album. Though. I like Sounds it. intriguing. Perfect lockdown mm. two material. Yeah, 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 indeed. Yeah. So we're all all going to have a bit more time in our hands in uh, November than we expected. So yeah. Um, why not go back and listen to all the podcasts again? Indeed. Well, I don't. Yeah, you uh, do if you want. You can if uh, you're really bored. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back next week with the final episode of this series with Benoit Piolard. I'm really excited about this one. This, uh, this is just... I mean, he's probably one of my favourite musicians who's working at the moment, so it was just really nice to chat to him. I mean, I, I kind of was... I suppose I was a bit gushing, but he's a brilliant <laughs> experimental ambient artist and he obviously as well has a Beatles backstory as everyone does so it's a lovely episode so we'll be back next Tuesday with that one I hope you enjoyed that episode if you did please go to um, Apple Podcasts or wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts and give us a nice five star rating and if you write us a nice review we'll uh, try and read it out on the show if we can Uh, if you want to get in touch you can go to personalbeatles.com forward slash contact or email me jack at homespunsounds.com and uh, we'll read out the the last of uh, your personal Beatles stories in the intro to next week's episode if you've enjoyed this series and you would like us to help us come back for more later in 2021, if we're all still alive, then you can go to personalbeatles.com forward slash donate. We'll be back next week. Cheers. Your Own Personal Beatles is presented by Jack Pelling and Robin Allender. The podcast artwork is done by Morgan Ritchie. It's produced by me, Jack Pelling, and is a Homespun Sounds production. 